0: Crank Up The Volumes, a podcast with me, Illid Have, from the Children's Books and Reading Promotion Department in the Books Council of Wales, and this podcast is all about children and young people's books and literature. In this episode, we'll take a look behind the scenes of the Teethna Org Awards. Joining me to do that are two of this year's judges, Janet Ahmed and Simon Fisher. Before we get started, let's hear a bit about what the Teethna Norg Awards are.
1: Hello there, my name is Helen Jones and I'm the Head of Children's Books and Reading Promotion at the Books Council of Wales. Now, the Tŷ Nog are the oldest and most popular awards for children's literature in Wales, established in 1976. The awards recognise and promote excellence, really, in books for children and young people. The awards have been won by some of our leading authors, including Manor Stefan Ross, Jack Jones, Garrett F. Williams, Catherine Fisher, Jackie Morris, to name a few. Now, there are three prizes of of £1,000 each and these are awarded annually to the overall winner in the three categories. The awards are sponsored by Silip Cymru, the Chartered Institute for Librarians and Information Professionals here in Wales. We've already released the short lists. The shortlists are released uh, annually in both English and Welsh language categories, and they're obviously uh, published preceding the awards. Now the categories are Welsh language primary category, Welsh language secondary category, and then the best English. English-language book with an authentic Welsh dimension for either primary or secondary age children.
0: Today we'll take a look behind the scenes of the Tyrna Norb Awards with two of this year's judges, Janet Ahmed and Simon Fisher. Hello to you both and thank you for joining me.
2: Hello. Hello. <laughs> nice to meet you, Ileg.
0: You too, Janet. Now then, let's talk about your work as judges. Janet, this was your second year as a judge and your first year assignment. How did you both find the experience? Janet, let's start with you.
2: I absolutely love it. There's nothing more fun than reading children's books.
1: Mm.
2: And I guess second to that, there's nothing more fun than receiving children's books to judge. Um, Because really, all I'm doing is enjoying them and living a childhood dream to receive children's books and judge. Excellent.
0: How is it for you Simon?
3: Having the chance to discuss those books with with adults, you know when you, when mm-hmm. you've when adults have read the same children's books, that's quite an experience to be able to discuss them um, together and, and you know the fruits of that conversation are, are plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and particularly this award I think is is really important. Of course, with them all having the context of all having a Welsh context, um, being set in Wales, or however they meet that brief.
0: So, discussing these children's books as adults, were you just in your using your adult mind, or was the inner child getting a say as well?
3: Well, as a as a teacher, I th- I think you you inevitably read things, and think of children that you know. You know, you, um, mm. you can think of children who you might recommend that book to. You can think of children who would really enjoy that book. I and mean, it's nice to take that away from the from the process as well
2: oh for me my inner child is the one that speaks loudest i think when i'm reading these books because i've i've been through the experience of reading books for adults and 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 that is part of my job now mm. and it's and it's wonderful to revisit that place where the love of books came from and do it with fresh eyes in a way that all the nuances that I would have missed as a child, I can appreciate so much more as an adult because it's adults writing for children. So mm. they have as much to say to the guardian, the teacher, the parent as the child who is reading it.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's one of the brilliant things about children's books, isn't it? There's something there for every reader.
3: Yeah, I think, and I, I think also that many authors would probably say that they're not necessarily writing for children, they're just writing what they enjoy. Mm. And so, you know, that, that, that reflects on the reader, you know, reading for pleasure, for your own pleasure. That's the main purpose of reading, regardless of what it is.
0: How did you receive them? Did you receive a whole load in one go or did they come in dribs and drabs?
2: Oh, I think we had what two main parcels and a couple of individuals that came through as and when they arrived. At a couple, the couple of late ones, entries. Well. Yeah, a couple <laughs> of late <laughs> entries. We love those. And was it always exciting when they arrived? Yes, always seeing books that you might recognize, seeing books that I might have seen already in promotion and mm. um things like that, that's always fun
3: yeah, yeah. You, you always keep an eye out over the over the year and think, "Oh, I hope that one is submitted or I hope you know I hope that one comes through because that deserves to be shared, that deserves to be talked about um yeah I, I wasn't disappointed.
0: Well that was gonna be my next question. Were you happy with the book submitted? Were you was there anything that you thought, oh, I wish that type of book, that genre had been submitted? Perhaps not any specific books, but broadly speaking.
2: I think one of the things that was missing last year and this was poetry that had the or mm. context of being based in Wales. Um, this year it was a real pleasure to have non-fiction titles. I think last year was very much more fiction based.
3: i'm always um I'm always surprised going back to what Janet said before about um poetry. you know, i I, I adore poetry. you know, Wales is gladd Cantorion, and we've got such a rich um, adult poetry networks across across Wales and publications that support that. And I'm, I'm always amazed of where they come from because the, <laughs> it does seem to be a real lack of poetry for children, even compendiums of poetry for children. That's not to say the quality is not out there for this award because the, the quality is there, but um, obviously not, not poetry about Wales, which is what this award is focused on.
0: So with the Welsh authentic dimension, were you given criteria on that or was it up to you de- to decide is this Welsh enough for me
2: this is a question that seems to appear every year whenever we are discussing perhaps that shortlist and mm. figuring out what should make the shortlist necessarily or what might reach the top of that mm. um, yes it's we're, we're giving the we're given the term authentic Welsh setting mm how that appears in books can be very different and what we deem authentic or not can differ between judges. Mm. So that's always interesting and up for debate.
3: You then end up taking something like a non-fiction book about Wales Mm. and comparing it to a novel that is set very clearly in Wales and then maybe you've got folk tales which are sort of Traditionally Welsh, so you know the the authenticity is very very different in those in in those three situations, um, and it, it is a source. I mean, it is the main source of conversation, I think. Well, based on my <laughs> one year <laughs> so far, but um, no, I, I I gather that it is a constant source of discussion.
0: With all that in mind, how did you come up with your shortlist?
3: I
2: wanted to say with great difficulty. It wasn't necessarily. Was it good difficulty because there was such a rich choice? With good difficulty, yes. That's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) And more accurate.
3: We did have to work hard to cut it down. We did have quite a lot of um, potential shortlistees, shall we say. Mm. Um, And there was a lot of discussion, uh, hours of discussion around which ones should uh, make it which is good it's always good to be yeah. able to have those those conversations and, and battle it out because you certainly don't want to be in the opposite situation no,
2: absolutely mm-hmm. not no it might be hard for some of the author's books who are submitted or the publishers themselves to hear that yeah i think there were two other books that could have in an, in an alternate universe potentially have been part of the short list that we ended up with but we have a limited number i think our aim is to keep four or below really or th- three or below <laughs> yeah
0: it's usually three but this year a fourth yeah. one snuck in so perhaps now is a good time to reveal the shortlist to those who don't already know so I'll just go through them quickly we've got 10 stories from Wales that everyone should know by Ivan Morgan-Jones illustrated by Taylor Gwyn and published by Riley The Valley of Lost Secrets by Leslie Parr and published by Bloomsbury Swan Song by Jill Lewis published by Barrington Stoke and Welsh Fairy Tales, Myths and Legends by Clare is published by Scholastic. Those are the four shortlisted books. So we've got two fiction, one Myths and Legends, and one Factual book. So we've got a nice range there. Shall we have a quick chat about each of them? Let's start with ten stories from Welsh history that everyone should know. Do you agree that everyone should know those ten stories?
3: Yes, definitely. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> We've chosen it. Yeah, this is a it's it's a stunning book. This is it's really 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 good. Produced by Riley, and there's a lot of thought gone into um, gone into how this book has been been produced. It's been produced um, in two separate versions: as an English version and a Welsh version um, as well. And I think the format of it works really well because what you get is you get the story first of all, almost a first person account over a double page spread and then you turn the page and you get more of the sort of factual and historical context of that story and it broadens out as well so you know if you one of the stories is about um um, as you might expect and um over the page then you get a little bit more detail about the timelines and the princess of wales and more about the castles and a bit more about rebellions that took place so it's a really nice introduction to these stories but also then places them within within the context of of the history of that time
0: were there any of the histories that you weren't familiar with yourself
2: yes i didn't know about the welsh pirate black bart oh yeah, that was interesting Mm. in many ways i think stories like that were such a useful kind of easy introduction to history making, because it referenced things like appearing in Pirates of the Caribbean and, you know, the kind of ideas that surround piracy and glamorization although those kinds of terms aren't necessarily used in the book. Looking at the factual side of it and interrogating what that means in a way that young people can see history as as being, you know, that kind of like first-hand account or or one perspective and then lending a kind of broader view to what history is and how it's made and who gets to tell those stories.
3: Yeah, and there's a broad range there as well. I think it's, like I say, it's very it's, it's very well considered. So you get the sort of social history as well as the, you know, what I've talked about the castles before, but you get the history of the Welsh language, goes through to devolution, race riots in, in, in South Wales, Obviously, because it's ten stories, that's obviously focused the the storytelling mm. to say what is you know what what is important for us to share, and maybe there'll be more volumes in future. Who knows?
0: Simon Fisher, once more, please. <laughs> yes, lots more. <laughs> lots. Excellent. And what about then, The Valley of Lost Secrets by Leslie Parr, one of our fiction titles? I heard about The Valley of Lost Secrets in a conference when it it was a publisher highlight. This is coming up this year, and I knew immediately that one will be considered the Teethon Org. So I was right. It has made the short list. <laughs> it's a,
3: it, it is a really, really well-told story. It's, um, as you know, an evacuee story. It's World War Two. The valley that the the children come to from Islington is fictional, mm. except as you read the book, it is most definitely a South Wales valley of that time. So... You know, we, we talked earlier about authenticity. Mm. It feels, uh, it's, it's very, very tangible, the storytelling. And, and the characters are, are, are really well built. And it's a mystery, you know, the, the Valley of Lost Secrets. So um, Jimmy and Ronnie, the two boys in the story, the brothers of the story, Jimmy makes a discovery um, that he has to then solve. And it kind of draws in all of these characters from from the Valley and also helps him to learn about the friends that came, came with him as well. So there's, there's a great deal to, to get stuck into with this book.
0: This was Leslie Parr's first book, wasn't it? So fantastic that it's, her first book has reached a, an award shortlist. It's a nice author to keep an eye on, I think, then. Swan Song by Jill Lewis from Barrington Spoken, very experienced author. How did you find this book?
2: I think because I hadn't come across. Jill Lewis's books before, it was surprising to me in many ways. I think what was most compelling was this focus on Dylan's mental health, depression, and the idea of Wales as a place of healing. It had such broad and exciting Themes, but in a really compact. It was. It's a very short book, and yet it hits on so many important ideas, like family and community, and nature, and the education system as well.
3: There's a lot within the short number of pages. It's very touching to read. It's a very sensitively written book, and deals compassionately with with the topic. D- Dylan is excluded from his school. There are reasons for that that you discover. Um, as you read, as you read the book, but I think Jill is becoming very well known for writing about the healing power of nature, and mm. the, the sense that comes through with Swan Song is that you know, Wales is is a place of nature, and it's a place where one can be healed.
2: That's very lovely. Oh, I well, mean, it that... does also <laughs> it looks at the environmental aspects of of Wales and. I don't know keeping land for for nature versus turning spaces into commercial mm. ventures, mm. and those kind of boundary themes really inform the character. They inform they inform Dylan and his family and the community and how they respond to that and how they respond to each other. And again, this was one one book that we did grapple in terms of authenticity, authentic Welsh setting because it, it the place is never. Named, I don't think in the book. We can only locate it by references to the nature there, and yet without a name, um, it still feels incredibly Welsh.
3: People being able to identify with with it, I think, is a sign that it's authentic. You know, it's set in a fishing village near an estuary. The grandfather, rather stereotypically, is part of a male voice choir. Of course. Um, <laughs> but but it, it just feels so so real and and something that that you know everybody could recognize in reading it there's no mistake in my mind that it is that it is authentically a welsh setting
2: i think it's an interesting conversation and and one that we did have briefly during the judging sessions about why it is or why it isn't that authors choose or, or don't choose to state a name mm. for places where their story might be set. I think for Helen, who, is, who oversees all the years of the Tirnanog Awards, um, I think she would like to see more named places in Wales in books, because that's something you see in, in wider culture in other books or other films and other Mm. you know cultural material and why not Wales also someone has to start that tradition and and hype it up like people have hyped up Edinburgh and yeah
0: do you think that because lots of these books have come from publishers outside Wales that maybe that might influence the naming or not naming a specific place
2: potentially I guess part of it is if there's a publisher based in Wales they might be they might push for an author to the name the place if it's set if it's clearly set in Wales. Whereas if it's some a publisher outside they don't have that patriotic or nationalistic or or just feeling about Wales that they they Mm. have the need to to name the place.
3: I mean children need to see. We all need to see our own localities and our own communities reflected in what we're what we're reading i mean that's that's basically the crux of this award what it's for to try and encourage that kind of writing and and possibly it's a you know it's it's a branch of of the work of the books council for wales as well mm. um obviously there are some who think who who would agree with that and say it's important there are others who 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 don't i mean that's a yeah. an obvious thing to an obvious thing to say but i think with this with this book in particular I don't think it actually matters that it's not named. I think, I think the authenticity comes through in the writing in the um, and the descriptions, and through the essence of the through the essence of the book. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, th- there is there is a point about you know, is it is it more difficult to sell a book if you name a Welsh location yeah. within it if you are selling from Wales to outside Wales, and likewise, why would a why would an English based publisher want to? necessarily sell the fact that, that a book is set in in wales mm-hmm. you know what would, what would their motivation be for that i think it comes down to good storytelling at the end of the day, days and valuable Lost secrets is published by a by an england-based um publisher um mm-hmm. by a welsh author about a very very welsh mm-hmm. um story and welsh setting and, and likewise with um the, the fairy tales myths and legends as well
0: yeah, which we haven't spoken about yet, so oh, let's no. talk about that one. So, Welsh Fairy Tales, Myths and Legends by Claire Fayers, published by Scholastic. Very Welsh. They've got proper places. Tell me more about this book and why it got to the
2: shortlist. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. What else? What else is there to say?
3: What's really, really nice about it is is Claire Fayers is is basically telling you these. Tales herself, she, you know, she's sitting by the fire next to you mm. and she's, she's sharing them with you. And many of them are tales that you know and love, that you've been told many times before, that make you cry, that make you leap for joy. Yes, I'm talking about Gellert. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Tales from the Mabinogion, Tal Yesing is there and um, uh, Rhiannon and Puish. And it, it's it's up for me. It's all in the it's all in the telling. It's the way she tells them. <laughs> because, I don't
2: know if you heard. There is a kind of genius to the storytelling because yeah. each story is only a few pages long hmm. in the book, and yet because it's about myths and legends, the ideas, the theme, the setting seems to just expand so wide, and suddenly you're lost within a sentence, within a paragraph, and. When I was reading this, I imagined what it would be like to be a child and have my teacher or a parent or read this to me. And I, I think when we were judging, Simon was quick to tell us that he had already, in fact, been reading these stories to his class. So that tells you all you need to know about these stories, I think.
3: Yeah, it's they're ideal and they're they're, they're a great way in as well. You know, if you if you yeah. if you read the story of the Tulwith Tag to to children, they're then immediately inquisitive about more stories. Could tell tell us more? Tell us another from that book. Let's go and find something else out about the Tulwith Tag. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an inspiring collection, and um, yeah, brilliant as Janet said.
2: What's interesting about Welsh fairy tales, myths, and legends is that it's part of a series mm. with yeah. the Scottish and Irish. Fairy Tales, mm. Myths and Legends as well. So I think that lends another feeling to uh, the book. Yeah, how we mm. feel about the book as well. Yeah, as an introduction to the stories mm. and as a way in and, a, you know, a couple of pages just to absorb this thing that can also feel really disconnected as well. I think one, one thing that's interesting about that book anyway, and i sorry to witter on about yeah. it, is that when I was at school, I heard a couple of Welsh stories and myths, and especially the one about the dog. Oh, so sad, but apart from that, I don't remember learning about or hearing about any other myths and legends. Mm. Just the names that I'd come across in poetry that I was reading, and I didn't have any kind of context for it. So I think it's it's wonderful that it can bring all of that really quickly.
3: I think
1: anyway it's,
2: more,
3: it. it's more a part of the, the Welsh language fits more now with children's identity in Wales, I think, regardless of, of which part of Wales you're in. I think you know, the, the language is a part of, of the identity, rather than, like you say, it being something that was studied in school and then forgotten about in all of the other lessons or outside. I, th- I think that's something that's really growing.
0: Janet, Simon, thank you both so much for joining me and giving us all your inside information. We must also thank the other judges, Alex Ball and Lydia Bundy. Once again, the shortlisted books in this year's English Language Category of the and Org Awards are 10 Stories from Welsh History That Everyone Should Know by Ivan Morgan Jones, The Valley of Lost Secrets by Leslie Parr, Swan Song by Jill Lewis and Welsh Fairy Tales, Myths and Legends by Claire Fayers. The winner will be announced on BBC Wales Arts Review Show on Friday the 20th of May. So do make sure you tune in to find out this year's Tirna Norg winner.